The uh, scripture reading is taken from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure heart, pure minds by the way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were, and that from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, but the, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening for the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be melt, will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Thank Jason for that lengthy reading this evening uh, from 2 Peter chapter 3. You can leave your Bibles open there and our text will come or our lesson will come directly from this, uh, from this uh, chapter. This is in the series of Asking for a Friend. And if you haven't seen these back in the foyer as you exit on the left, there's a box full of these uh, neon color cards. On one side it says, I've wondered about. On the other side it says, I've got a friend who's struggling with. There's a box that's sitting right there, and I'll leave it out there probably for another month or so. Um, but realize that I've probably got enough questions uh, or enough cards to fill up an entirety of a year's uh, Sunday evenings. We're not going to do that, but this is going to be kind of an on-again, off-again series about asking for a friend. Things that I've wondered about, things that... I've got a friend struggling with, and uh, if you've got questions or if you've got things that you would like to have a biblical discussion on or have us to do a lesson, um, feel free to grab one of those, fill it out, and drop it in that box. It can be anonymous, or you can put your name on it, whichever you like, but um, that's, uh, that's kind of uh, our plan for some Sundays uh, this year, Lord willing. This particular question comes, and the question is, is that uh, what is a Christian's response to global warming, or what should we do about global warming? How should I feel about at the outset, let me say that I'm going to, as much as possible, divorce this from a political discussion. If you understand, if you've read anything in the news about global warming and about uh, climate change, you'll realize that it, it, it is a lightning rod of a political discussion. There are people on both sides that are arguing for and against, but their motives may not necessarily be in the interest of doing something about global warming for the sake of global warming. The, the reason why people may do those things and say those things and advocate a particular uh, agenda 
may be less than honest as far as uh, just trying to advance a political cause or a political ideal. And so realize that we're just not going to deal with that aspect of it as much as possible. That being said, I do want to address some certain things that people have said regarding climate change. And the be beginning of 2019, actually about a year ago, uh, January 2019, um, this lady, or excuse me, this man, uh, Al Gore, rather, sorry, let me back up. This lady, uh, Alexandria Asatio-Cortez, the beginning of last year was delivering a speech, and she said this, the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And you go and you read about political commentaries about what she said, and there's a lot of people that believe that she was far too lenient with those 12 years. A lot of people believe that the world is going to end in a shorter, uh, a shorter time period than those 12 years that she gave. This young lady uh, by the name of Greta Thunberg, 17 year olds now, but when she was 16, she sat before the United, uh, United Nations uh, climate uh, panel and she delivered a scathing rebuke to those people on that occasion, really to all of us, to the world. And one of the things she said, or a number of the things she said, is that people are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the midst of a mass extinction. That is some serious language as far as uh, addressing things about climate change. Let me back up just for a moment to this man. Al Gore was one of the first ones, I guess, on a national level to really ring the bell to uh, warn about the dangers of climate change. Al Gore accepted a Grammy for uh, his movie uh, in, in February 2007. His movie was called An Inconvenient Truth. And in his acceptance speech, he said, my fellow Americans, people all over the world, we need to solve the climate crisis. It's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. Climate change, addressing global warming is a moral issue. It is not a political issue. In promoting his movie, Al Gore said that from 2006, the earth had 10 years to the point of no return. We were in a planetary emergency back in 2006, and we only had 10 years in order to be able to do something about it, according to his, his, uh, his movie about global warming. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this. Is before we get started, let me uh, dim that light just for a moment. The Bible is the ultimate and the first inconvenient truth. That's just the nature of the way it is that Scripture is revealed. The Bible is the original and the ultimate inconvenient truth because it challenges us to change our lives. It's not so much that it affects the majority of the environment that it lives that we live in, but in the fact that it changes us from the inside out and it changes us for the better so that we in turn affect our environment for the better. Paul would say this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Timothy, I want you to give yourself to study. And he'd say, as a young man, the temptation may be to just devote all your time to bodily exercise, to building those muscles as it seems like they come so easy in, in young, young age. And Paul says, Timothy, bodily exercise just profits just a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. Does that include the environment? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And as we look at this issue and as we look at this, we understand, brothers and sisters, we have devoted ourselves to a cause, not climate change. 
not doing something about global warming, but we have devoted ourselves to the cause, which is Jesus Christ and the furtherance of the gospel. We have dedicated ourselves to godliness and being like Jesus Christ so that if the earth still stands tomorrow, we've made up our minds we're going to live for him and not for any other purpose. Now, all of our other purposes and all of our other agendas and all of our other ideas and, and responsibilities fall under that umbrella. I am God's man, first of all. I am God's woman, first of all. And because of that, I'm going to behave so that it is that other things are profited in my life because I've devoted myself to Jesus Christ. Looking here in 2 Peter chapter 3, let's get a little bit of context just for a moment. We've been talking about in the last two weeks in our adult Bible classes about uh, Second Peter, big lessons from little books, and understanding that one of the key words for Peter is knowledge. And Peter wants people to know and to remember the Word of God and to trust the Word of God and the all-sufficiency of it due to the people that might come in and try and overthrow their faith. There are people that would say, it's not about Christianity. It's about saving the world. It's about saving the environment. The, uh, it's about saving, as they might say, Mother Earth. Peter says, I don't want you to let anybody divert your mind and your heart away from those things. Instead, you devote yourself to the things that God has given us, all things that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And as we trust in that knowledge, and as we build our lives on that knowledge, adding to our faith, virtue and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, all those things there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. As we do that, we're not only going to change from the inside out our lives for the better, we're going to change the environment for the better. That being said, let's go back to the scripture reading Jason read first just a few moments ago and make some observations about the Word of God with respect to this issue. Number one, I want you to realize the first thing is the Word of God is there to create calm in the storm. The Word of God is there to create calm in the storm. The same way as Jesus, so many years ago, before this was written, was asleep in the, in the boat, and the disciples are fighting for their very lives, and they're concerned that this is the end. And that we're not going to survive this. And these are experienced fishermen out there on the Sea of Gennesaret, on the Sea of Galilee. And as they're fighting for their very lives, they go and they shake Jesus awake and say, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus gets up and he rebukes the winds and the waves with simple words. Peace, be still. And all of a sudden there was a great calm. The elements responded to the Word of God. The Word of God that was there in that boat. The same Jesus that created all. More on that here in just a moment. And the Word of God was able to change the men's lives in that particular instance so much so that they said, who in the world can this be that even the winds and the waves obey Him? Note what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, and both by which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and by the commandments, words of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. 
Peter says, chapter 2, there's all kinds of false teachers. There's all kinds of people that are among you that are trying to upset and overturn your faith and try and change everything that's, 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 uh, that you're holding on to, that you're holding fast in and trusting in. Peter says, don't let your mind and your hearts be drawn away by those things. Be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostle, the Savior. Peter would say in the first epistle, chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever, endures forever. That's powerful. Let me make this observation. When we begin to look at anything, anything, without the filter of God's word over our eyes, you can expect that there's going to be anxiousness, that there's going to be worry, that there's going to be concern, that there's going to be a terror that overtakes us because if we don't have the filter of the promises of the Word of God, the things that we need to be reminded of, what's going to happen is our lives are going to be built on, well, I've got to save myself. Well, I've got to save the environment. Well, I've got to save the spotted owls or the, the whale. I've got to save these things because, because who, if I don't, who's going to do it? But when I turn my attention back to the Word of God, the same way it was able to make a calm on the Sea of Galilee so many years ago and control the elements, the same way the Word of God, sound theology, is able to make a calm in your heart and my heart. When we think about the right things, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, whatever things are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and good report, if there's anything virtuous and praiseworthy, meditate, think about, put your minds constantly on these things. When that happens, what's going to happen is there's going to be a peace that passes on all understanding. There's going to be a peace of God that is able to control the raging storm in your heart and my heart. It doesn't happen just with global warming. It happens with whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that we're dealing with. I want you to realize that that's the application, but especially in this, if I fail to look at this world without the filter of God's Word, yeah, you can expect that I'm going to be a little anxious about it. I'm going to be a little concerned. Point number two. mentioned this just a moment ago, but it's worth us spending a little bit of time on. The Word of man cannot save. The Word of man cannot save. Verses 3 and 4, note the context. I want to stir up your minds by way of reminder. I want you to remember these things, verses 1 and 2. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come about in the last days. Note this part in your Bible. Walking according to their own lusts. And when they're walking according to their own lusts, they're saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Where's this Jesus that you're waiting for? Where is he? You know, it's been 30, 40, 50 years since he rose from the dead and went back into heaven. Where is he? Is he coming back? Do you know? Everything's gone on just like it has since the very beginning. They were making that argument in the first century. Now, here in the 21st century, what they're doing is they're saying, whoa, no, 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 we gotta, we got the world's going to end any day now. We just have to wait for the time when we're going to be cooked to death. And there are three characteristics that he gives here in this this section. Number one, they're walking according to their own lusts. Number two, they're appealing to the continuity of things. This has always been the case. This is always going to be the case. But note verse 5 at the beginning. This they willfully forget. 
when we reject the Word of God, when people reject the Word of God as the ultimate authority, when somebody rejects the Word of God to be able to make calm in their lives, somebody knows the Word is, but they behave like the Word isn't, what's going to happen is there's going to be a great turmoil in their hearts. But I want you to know they're going to have to turn away from the Word of God, which is able to create that peace and that calm in the storm, and they're going to have to turn to the words of men who truthfully cannot save. What comfort would it be to a Christian to listen to a person like this here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 4 and 5? Seems like it would make me a little anxious in my faith if I started thinking, well, maybe Jesus isn't coming back. Well, maybe this person's right about this. And if I'm listening to those words about these people who are walking according to their own lusts, and I begin to pay heed to those, I can really do some damage to my faith, and so can you. Here's the truth of the matter. My word that comes out of my mouth, that's not the word of God. That word cannot save. I can make some great recommendations. I think that I could probably weigh in on some, some pretty hefty issues. But the thing is, if I'm not filtering my speech through the word of God, then what's going to happen is I'm going to give you something that ultimately isn't going to be able to any, be any kind of salvation to you. There's a, <laughs> I used to read a whole lot of science fiction. You know what science fiction writers are really skilled at? Creating a very, very bleak future. And showing some really, really horrible circumstances about getting to the time where we have to ration air and where we have to, to ration things like sunlight and, and, and food and all of those things. And there, there's a lot of people that can paint a great apocalyptic picture of the world. But individually, if it's true that the Word of God is not true, then we have very little to look forward to. We have nothing to look forward to. We have a bleak future individually. But the Word of man can't save us from these issues. You realize that? I want you to realize that in an election year. You're going to hear a lot of promises. You're going to hear a lot of things from both sides and realize that there are some promises to say, we're going to make things better. We're going to make things much, much better than what they have been. But the truth is that when we're speaking something that doesn't necessarily cause me to change from the inside out, submitting my life to Christ, then you're dealing really with a realm where the word of man can't save. How many things have we dealt with just in our lifetime? And some of y'all with uh, that are older with your lifetime. Terrorists, global warming. You realize back in the 70s, Kenneth Watt, surprisingly, uh, ironically, his name, Kenneth Watt, uh, 1970 predicted an ice age. Here's what Kenneth Watt said in 1970. The world is going to be four degrees cooler in the year 1990. By the year 2000, the world is going to be 11 degrees cooler than it was. He said that's more than double to put us into the next ice age. 1970, we've sounded the alarm about global cooling. What would it take to put us in an ice age? Why is it that we're not an ice age? What about the hole in the ozone layer? I remember growing up hearing about the hole in the ozone layer. You can't use those chlorofluorocarbons, the, the, the glade uh, things to, to, to scent your home. You can't use those things because it's creating, it's making the hole in the ozone layer bigger. Nuclear war with North Korea, genocide, homicide, Ebola, Zika. You realize there's always going to be a new threat that's going to come along. The truth may very well be that in a generation or two, nobody's talking about climate change anymore. Nobody's talking about global warming anymore. 
All things continue like they were since the dawn of creation. So we preserve a world like that. If it were such an agenda, if it were such an imminent threat, why is it that the UN climate talks broke down at the middle of last month? Everybody went away kind of frustrated and, and, and closed. If this is such an imminent moral issue that's going to affect our lives, why is it that men walked away from the table and said, we're not going to do anything about it? The truth is, is it's this point. The word of man can't save. Number three, truth that we need to realize. Brothers and sisters, please get this point. The word of God is what holds all things. Still under the scoffer sections, uh, verse 5, For this they willfully forget that, underline it, by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But now the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by thee, underline it, same word, are reserved for fire under the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. What he's talking about here in this context is, you've got this under the scoffer section, Peter's saying they're forgetting something. All the way back from the very beginning, the world and the heavens and the earth that were old, verse 6, the world then existed, perished. How did it perish? A global, universal, worldwide flood. What caused it? The Word of God. The Word of God was what spoke, and those great fountains of the deep opened up, and the rain began to come, and rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and the water existed on the earth for uh, a good and a good deal of time longer than that. The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same Word. Jesus Christ the creative force of God's power, the living embodiment of the Word, John 1, 1. John, Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, For by Him all things were made, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible, thorns and thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. What is upholding this world? What's keeping this world rolling, as it were, moving, as it were. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. You remember what the promise was after Noah and his sons got off the boat? God put a rainbow in the sky. You remember what the rainbow was originally designed for? Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. God promised, while the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. Let that sink in just for a moment. We have a promise all the way back from when those original heavens and earth perished and were flooded by water. God was never going to again stop the natural processes of this earth until it is, 2 Peter chapter 3, that he finishes it once and for all. The word is the world is being upheld by the word of God. Number four. The word of God demands a response. World, word of God demands a response. Here's these scoffers, verses three and four. Where is he? Where's the promise of his coming? 
Why is it that he hasn't come back yet? This is what they're willfully forgetting. What's he waiting on? Verses 8 and 9. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know why God hasn't sent Jesus back yet? Because he's waiting on you and me to repent, to change our lives. There are a lot of people that are preaching repentance these days. But what they're preaching repentance about is you need to repent from driving that big Chevy diesel. You need to repent and buy a smart car. You need to repent from buying a gas guzzler or something that's, that's destroying the environment via fossil fuels, and you need to buy a hybrid. You need to buy an electric car, even though it causes more, creates more power and more drain to try and buy an electric car than it does actually to power by fossil fuel. But anyway, you understand that there's a lot of people that are repenting that, that you need to move out of the suburbs and buy some land and, and live off the earth and be green. You need to repent of wasting power. And we want to look at people like that, and there's people that will look down on us and say, well, you need to repent. There's no reason why you need those, all those trucks there in Texas. There's no reason. You've, when was the last time you hauled something? Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand something. Godliness is profitable for all things. We ought to be good stewards of this earth. We ought to be good stewards of this earth. And as much as it is, as we look and we have our hope in some, well, somewhere else, we have our hope set in heaven. We have our eyes on Jesus. As much as we do, I want you to understand that God wants you to be the best steward that you can of the world that he's created. And there is a measure where it is that we shouldn't give people an opportunity to look down on us or to think evil of us because of the choices we make or we don't make. Let me give you an example. I don't know why, but littering has become such a problem. I don't know if it's, it's maybe the influx of people that, uh, that come into this, this, this country and they, they don't necessarily know that you, when you're done with your trash, you don't just throw it on the ground in the middle of the Walmart parking lot. But can I encourage you, godliness is profitable for all things, to make it a personal mission, keep hand sanitizer with you, absolutely, but leave the places you visit cleaner than when you found them. If you don't start, if it doesn't start with you, then who's it going to start with? Why not go as you're walking into the Walmart and pick up that McDonald's bag that somebody left there on the sidewalk? Why not throw it in the trash can where it is that the Walmart employees don't have to do that? You can influence somebody for the better by the choices that you make or the choices that you don't make. There are some times that I'll go into the grocery store and I'll have those bags that we use for Aldi because, of course, you don't want to buy the Aldi bags, right? And, but you understand that you, you take like a, 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 a sack that's, that's meant to be reused and you take those things and you put, to, put your groceries in it. Again, I don't know that I'm saving the environment by doing that, but I know that I could possibly influence somebody else to realize that I need to be a good steward of the things that I have. I need to be a person that's not trying to cause an offense. And brothers and sisters, when you post something on social media about things like this, realize that you're, you're probably not going to do the best amount of good when you do that. 
Because when people get on social media, more and more I realize that they're just looking for fights. And they're just looking to disagree with somebody that they know is contrary to their opinion. And, and if you're going to have a private conversation with it, great. But, but don't just post something on there expecting to make somebody mad. Well, I'm going to drive my gas guzzler just because. And those environmental wackos, they can just, you know, don't do that. Be content with what you have. Let godliness, your pursuing godliness, change the environment for the better, your environment for the better. When you go in the bathroom and there's paper towels all over the floor, why not pick those things up? Be a good steward. Leave it cleaner than you found it. That's a great rule for life. And you never know who it is that's watching or who it is that can look at your life and see that there's something different about you. The Word of God demands a response reason why God hasn't sent back Jesus is because he's waiting for men to repent and see things the way he wants them to. God, I'm sorry I haven't done things the way that you want. I want to do what's right. The time we have is evidence of the long-suffering of God. God's not forgetful with his word. And there's nobody that's going to be saved without a right relationship with Jesus. Last one this evening. Here is the truth. Global warming is going to happen. We can't stop it. There's nothing I can do here on this earth to move it along. But the truth is, is that global warming is going to happen at God's word and no other. Look at verses 10 to 12. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Irony is that God has, by his word, promised that global warming will occur. Not like a crockpot, not like this earth is going to slowly become uninhabitable, but it's going to happen all at once. And even though it may be that we try and devote ourselves to saving the trees and saving the spiders and the spotted owls and whales and whatever else we can devote our time to, the truth is, brothers and sisters, that it's all going to burn up. I don't know if I told this story or not, but I had a sweet little grandmother that uh, went on a trip with my brother down to uh, Hoover Dam to go visit and uh, to, to sightsee a little bit. And she got out, and when she got back in the car, she realized she lost her diamond ring. She lost a diamond out of her ring. And it was somewhere there at the Hoover Dam. It probably still is. But as she looked and frantically saw it, because that was the only thing that my grandfather had given her, that one of the things that she'd held on to, and she's looking for this diamond, looking and looking and looking, and they spent at least a couple of hours looking around the car and tearing it apart and trying to find those things. And as she's, bless her heart, whimpering the entire way home, my brother just reminded her and said, Grandma, it's, you realize it's all going to burn one day. What is it that refocuses our lives on the things that really matter? What does Peter say, verse 11? Therefore, since these things will be dissolved, since they're going to melt, since everything that you have is going to be burned up one day, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? You can draw a line all the way back to first Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where he says... He's given us all things that pertain to life, this life, and godliness. Don't get attached to this world because it's not going to last. What should we concern ourselves with? Looking for and hastening the coming day of God. Behaving with urgency. What if we were as urgent with the cause of Christ as climate activists were with spreading their message? 
behaving with sobriety, the center of our minds and our hearts, the word of God, which is able to save your soul and my soul and the soul of many other people that are deluded by something like this, behaving with humility, going and recognizing, brothers and sisters, that we're not able to save ourselves. We can't save this world as climate activists talk about, but we can save this world as Jesus Christ intended us to. Again, this is not a political statement, but our purpose is that we, with the word of God, might make all men know, not with the powerful words spoken in the man's wisdom which are going to pass from this earth, but the power of the foolish message which pleases God. This is God's way. This is what he has told us is our mission here on this earth. It's not through charity or benefit concerts or anything else, but it's through the preaching and teaching of his word that we're able to encourage and change men's lives. And that's what's going to preserve men from all eternity. And we find, find that living by the word and having a right relationship with God is far more convenient to our salvation than anything else we can devote our time to. Do you need him this evening? Is there anything that we can do for you as a church family? Brothers and sisters, I hope a lesson like this is encouraging to you. And maybe if it is in your mind that this is something we ought to be worried about, maybe this is a peace to you that it's designed to do for the godly. But if it is that you're living outside of a right relationship with Christ, I hope it is in love that you don't sleep well tonight. That you think that if I were to die or the world were to end tomorrow, that God were to send Jesus back, that I wouldn't be with him. I wouldn't be in heaven because I don't know him. You can know him this evening. He can be your savior this evening. And we would love to assist you with that as we stand and sing our invitation song.